Good morning, and happy 4th of July weekend, and happy 4th of July. It's great to spend this holiday Sunday with all of you, and I think it would be a mistake if we didn't take that moment to really stop and consider and be thankful for the country that we live in and for the freedom that was fought for it. And just to thank the Lord for what we can do here to be able to assemble in public without any apologies to praise our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's one more time be thankful to the Lord for this opportunity each and every week. As today, we get to continue in our current summer teaching theme called The Question, The Creed, My Response. And I don't know about you. But over these last several months, especially in 2020, I got out of rhythm. Now, it's hard to work out of rhythm in life, but I was out of rhythm with my family, with my kids' school. I was out of rhythm with work at times. I was out of rhythm emotionally and even spiritually at times. It was kind of difficult. So I think there's natural times in life that is presented for us to stop, to evaluate, to take a little bit of inventory and to refocus ourselves a little bit, recalibrate, especially spiritually. So here's our big idea for today, and it's this. Are you ready for a summer reset? Yeah, our big idea is a question today. Are you ready for a summer reset? We actually find this as a healthy practice in Scripture that God modeled because there needs to be a rhythm to life that includes rest, that includes evaluation, because on the seventh day of creation in the Genesis account, what did God do? Anybody? He rested. That's right. He took inventory of what he had created. Now, did did God need rest? No, he wasn't tired. But he was modeling for us the idea to emulate because he knew that his creation would work really hard to produce its created purposes. Like it's tiring for us. And without proper rest, without a pr- a proper times of evaluation, we can get lost. We can get tired. And we know what physical exhaustion feels like, Right? It impairs all sorts of our normal functionality. We become short with people. We get mean. We we become ineffective in our leadership and our workplaces and within our homes. We lose the ability to make wise decisions. And physically leads to high blood pressure, the lack of sleep, the lack of rest, leads to heart problems, anxiety, depression, all sorts of things. And the same... It's true with our spiritual lives. And God knew if we didn't take time to spiritually evaluate from time to time that our relationship with him would be dramatically effective in a negative way. And unfortunately, a lot of times it takes a significant disruption within our lives to maybe it's a a diagnosis where all of a sudden we, we realize, wow, things need to change a little bit. I need to redirect my attention and do some things differently. Or maybe a relationship begins to just completely unravel and fall apart all of a sudden. We're like, wow, I'm not quite emotionally available as I need to be to those around me. I need to get some things in place and take some inventory. 
So as I was reading the book, The Jesus Creed, that's the book that this series is based on, I came across the story of Vincent van Gogh. He's a Dutch painter from the late 19th century, and most of us are familiar with one of his pieces of work, Starry Night. So I have a, a photo of that. You probably have seen that. So the thing about Van Gogh was that as a child, he was raised in a Christian household. His parents were Christian, took him to church. And when he was old enough to start making decisions for himself, he rebelled against his family's faith. He rebelled against the church, went his own way. Didn't work for him very well. He got lost. He fell off the tracks and life was heading into a very, very dark spiral down. And then he returned to his faith. He began to go back to what he had learned as a child and reestablished his relationship with God. And he admittedly, as he was producing work after this time, used the color yellow to represent the love and the presence of God in the world. And as you can see in this work, there's a little bit of light down at the bottom, but most of the yellow is in the sky and the clouds and the moon because he said that he felt at this time that God could be most known and seen through nature. Now, a little side note, you could see a little church up there down at the bottom. No yellow coming out of that church. That had to do with how he felt about the church at that time. And that's a whole separate sermon for a whole different kind of day. But then later on, he began to use the color yellow more and more in his work until the crescendo of this element happened in his piece of work called The Raising of Lazarus. You could see yellow is just bursting all over this scene. And he said this most represented how he felt God had raised him from a figurative death, so much so that he painted his own face as Lazarus. And I think we can all find ourselves in times of just off the rails a little bit, a little bit lost, trying to find our way back. And maybe today you would say it's not that bad. You know, I wouldn't describe myself emotionally, spiritually as bad. But I would posit today that there's really no bad time to, to stop and take some inventory of life, to evaluate ourselves. That's a, that's a healthy practice. And today, a very unique character in Scripture is going to help us think through this idea of a summer reset. So we're going to look at the uh, character in the Bible. His name was John. Now, there are a lot of Johns in the Bible. I think it was a really trendy name back then. But one of the things that was unique about this John was he was John the Baptist, who was a prophet of God. Now, at this time, there were two primary religious spokesmen for God in the religious order of the Jewish heritage and culture at this time. First, there were prophets like John the Baptist, and there were priests. And actually, John's father was a priest. So there were two different functionalities of prophets and priests. See, priests, this was before Christ had come and, and died. He was living at this time, but he had not died and, and had not been resurrected. So things worked a little bit differently. A priest would speak for humans to God. So this was, this was the only way humans could speak to God was through a priest in the privacy of the temple. So that was their function. Now, prophets, on the other hand, would speak for God to people. So it was God's way to verbally speak to people through prophets. And it was usually done in very public displays. 
Now, priests at this time, they would wipe the sins of people away on behalf of God. And prophets would wipe the sins of people in their faces because they needed to change. They were God's confronters on earth. Priests would summon people so that they could teach them how to make restitution to God for their sins to become, to get a right standing with God. That's what priests did. And then prophets would summon people in order to tell them how to start a new beginning. Like, okay, you're messed up. Here's what God is telling you to do. Here's the new path you need to get on to. So that's kind of the difference. And prophets usually demonstrated these things in a very dramatic and demonstrative kind of way. And we'll see that even a little bit with John. So in Luke chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, we're told how God had set aside John the Baptist in particular to, to begin and to initiate the earthly ministry of Jesus. So here, here's what we find out about John. Chapter 1, Luke 1, chapter, or verse 15. For he, talking about John, will be great in the, in the eyes of the Lord. Now get this, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is significant because this was, again, before the death and resurrection of Christ, before the Holy Spirit was given to all believers in Jesus. So this is unprecedented, and this is unusual for this to occur. So he is filled with the Holy Spirit, even more so, even before his birth. Like, this is crazy. Like, while he was still in his mother's womb, the Holy Spirit entered him. It says, he will, he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God, he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So this was John's role. Even before his birth, he was set aside as a prophet for this purpose. And at this time, the Israelites had lost their way a little bit in a lot of different areas. And they were not in full obedience to what they had committed to obey the Lord with their actions. And here's John coming to confront them. So as we're thinking about today, think about what are the areas of your life that you haven't given complete obedience to the Lord? Because the way I kind of do it sometimes is there's like, okay, as a percentage, I'm really obedient to the Lord. Like I do a lot for him and I obey in a lot of ways, but there's this little area over here that I can justify because all the other stuff is so good. The problem is that God doesn't work in percentages other than the fact that he says you're 100% a sinner and you are in 100% need of Jesus as a savior. And as we accept Jesus as our Savior, we continue to try to obey every way that we can with God. But the reality is we'll never find complete 100% obedience in every area of our life. And that's where Jesus comes in to cover the gap. This is what we're going to see. This is how we're going to keep talking through this today. Because a lot of the times as, as Christ followers, we can be... We can be derailed in life. It just, it just happens. Perhaps it was a failed business venture for you. It just didn't turn out like you wanted it to. Perhaps it was a, a collapse of a relationship or a moral failure. 
Something knocked you off your tracks, and it's been keeping you down ever since. Or maybe you've just been running so hard for so long that you are absolutely exhausted in every way imaginable, including spiritually, and you just need to get rejuvenated. You just need a refreshment of the Spirit today. Maybe something traumatic has come into your life an experience, an illness, something that just required all of your attention because you just had to deal with this thing while everything else kind of fell aside and then you just never picked up that other stuff and you're just still trying to get yourself back in alignment with the Lord. Or maybe you have been in or coming out of a a long, intense time of grieving of someone who you've lost, or maybe it was a financial burden, a job loss, you know, maybe a child has left for college and just rearranged your family and things are just off right now, or maybe it's anxiety or depression, or maybe it was some sort of abuse that took something away from you that you didn't deserve to have taken away. Stop me when there's something you can relate with, because The reality is, let's get real, any one of these things or a combination of these things can derail us in life. And sometimes it's easy to hop back on. Sometimes these are small things and we get knocked off and we're like, oh, wow, that was a hard thing. But hey, I'm back on track, baby. Heading down the right path, feeling good. I'm okay. But sometimes it just doesn't work like that. We get knocked off and we struggle and we're dealing with this thing, and we're, we're trying to get our legs back underneath us. We come through a season like 2020, and we're putting our lives back together into normalcy again, and we're getting our work in order, we're getting our family in order. But man, sometimes that emotional normalcy, that spiritual normalcy, it's hard to get back on the rails. This is when a prophet would come to town and say, here's what needs to happen, everybody. And this wasn't always a a, a bad thing because, yeah, prophets would be direct. They would put sins in the face of people, say, here's some things that are happening that need to change. But what it represented ultimately was God's concern with you, with us. That God is saying, I see you. I see your hurt. I know that this is a tough life for you because some things have gone completely out of alignment. But God isn't oblivious to the human element. He knows us. He designed us. He created us. He knows our failings. He's been with us since the creation of time. So he's saying, please come back to me. But sometimes it takes a little bit more. Sometimes it takes a prophet coming into town and saying, there's never a wrong time to make a right decision. Maybe you feel like I'm still just not ready. Well, maybe it's just time. Maybe it's just time. There's never going to be a good time. So let's make the right, next right decision for our life Let's, let's, there's never a bad time to start a good conversation with somebody that needs to occur. So here's John. 
set apart to deliver a specific message to a group of people that we're going to read right now. In Luke chapter 3, starting in verse number 2, it says, At this time, a message from God came to John. This is John the Baptist, the prophet, son of Zechariah, his father, again, who was a priest. So this message came to John, who was then living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sin and turned to God to be forgiven. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes who warned you to flee the coming wrath. See, I told you prophets were very dramatic. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. So in general, while public speaking, they, they kind of teach you not to insult your audience before you have something to say to them. But in this case, John just comes right out at them. He says, don't say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, the crowds ask, or the, then the crowds ask, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Be generous. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than what the government requires. Quit being dishonest. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money. Don't make false accusations. Don't be jerks. And be content with your pay. Don't be greedy. Like this isn't This isn't an epiphany of any sort. Sometimes we just need somebody to tell us what to do. It's just that simple sometimes. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their question directly, saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave or to untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John was in a very specific location while he's giving these speeches. I don't even know if you picked up on it. We kind of breezed over it. Where, where was he? He was at a river, right? More specifically, he was at the Jordan River. Now, this river was significant to the Israelites at this time. Everyone would have known from childhood, they were taught how the Lord brought their nation out of slavery. They wandered the wilderness and then was ultimately delivered into the promised land that God had set aside for them. Now, the the Jordan River for them was that turning point. He brought the people to the Jordan River, and it's where they crossed the Jordan River And then on the other side, begin to embrace and find and realize the promised land that God had set aside for them. But John said, there's more now. You can no longer just rely on your heritage. Yes, you're the chosen people of God, but it's different now. Jesus has come. So it's not about where you come from anymore. It's about your personal decision to come and be baptized to repent and embrace the Lord. See, there's a, there's a unique nuance here that is understood when we look at the entire scope of the Bible with the nation of Israel. John is saying, the Lord brought you to this river to give you a new beginning. 
Well, now he's asking you to return to this same river for an even better new beginning in Jesus, the Messiah. See, this is really cool stuff. But don't rely on your parents and your grandparents. Oh, we do that still. Like, oh, my grandparents were great Christians. They went to church. My parents were Christians. So, yeah, I'm, I'm Christian. But it's more than just a tradition. It's a decision to place your faith in Jesus alone to save you. And John says that there are some important elements that need to happen, and we found it laid out in his speech to the people, because thinking point number one for us teaches us this. Life begins over. We can have this summer kind of reset. Life begins over again with truth-telling. John is directly telling the truth to people, and he's saying, this is how you start over. Here's the rebirth. This is why Jesus and the apostles throughout the entire New Testament, as they're talking about salvation, they speak of it as a rebirth, a being reborn, letting the old pass away and the new come to light, being reborn in the spirit. See, this is a theme that truly a new beginning for us can happen, but we have to start with two things. Confession partnered with repentance. So confession, what's confession? It's the, the admission of wrongdoing. Repentance is the changed behavior afterwards. So confession without repentance, it's kind of like your kids coming home after curfew. You bust them. They know it. You know it. Oh, sorry. I know I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I apologize. Great. Well, then they go to their room and start texting their friends. Oh, here's how we can get away with it next time. (laughs) There's no act or change of the heart. So confession is great. It's necessary. But repentance has to occur to display that we have had a change of heart. We can deceive ourselves. It's actually not very hard to deceive ourselves. We can deceive other people. That's fairly easy too most of the time, but we cannot deceive God. We just can't. And ultimately, we can't hide from ourselves. And and I want to walk through, as we're talking about this reset, evaluation, evaluation of spirit and our relationship with the Lord, there's really three levels of self that we need to examine as we do this. And there's there's at least three levels. There's probably subcategories here that we could list out all day long, but just kind of three primary areas that we need to, to, to look at. And, and students in the room, listen up because this, this is really important for you. Because I keep hearing stories of parents who are in shock when they realize who their kids are on social media who their kids are digitally. And they say, I don't, I don't even know who this, this person, this child is sitting in front of me. They're shocked when they find out you, they do these things with this group of friends. Living a double life is, is traumatic for you. It, it, it's not good. And it has to be dealt with because living different lives it, it makes us struggle with our identity. We can't find our personal identity. And it, it completely undermines 
our relationships with our parents. And it's really a path to destruction, is what Scripture says. And that's not just for students, that's for all of us. We need to align all of ourselves in a consistent manner because living double lives, it catches up with us and it devastates. So, this top level, we must look at our public selves. This is kind of the the high view. It's us, but it's not totally us because we have to consider who's around, what other people's perspectives are, what their beliefs are, and we kind of taper how we act around different groups of people. And sometimes that's necessary. It's appropriate. Oftentimes, these are kind of high-level, superficial things, kind of easy to, to identify, kind of like job review kind of stuff. You know, here's how you can be more social. Here's how you can be more administrative. Here's how you can treat people a little bit better here and communicate a little bit better. And we need to address this because it's important how we interact with our everyday people in, in public. We need to treat them with respect and with honor. And then we move a little bit deeper into our private selves. Now, there's people involved here. This is our, our family members, our most intimate relationships, our really, really close friends who, who know us. And these are the people who see us at home. They see us on our good days. They see us in our underwear. They see us on our bad days. They smell our morning breath, and they still love us anyways. And this is, this is really hard to begin to evaluate because... We really become exposed here. We, our flaws are out there, and we don't like that. We try to cover these things up, and we can actually feel a little less obligated to deal with these things because, you know, the love and the loyalty of those close friends and family members can sometimes cover a multitude of, of those types of things. But it's important that we're honest, we truth-tell, And we get those relationships in check and in alignment with our public self and our private self. And then lastly is our inner self. This is a level that's most oftentimes neglected because nobody sees it. Nobody knows about it. It's where our true aspirations, our true motives, our true resentments and desires, uh, that's where they reside. They're not yet ready for public display. I would say this is our character, right? Your character is who you are when nobody is looking, when there's absolutely no way you could get caught. This is our character. This is our inner self. And this needs to be in alignment. All levels of self need to be in alignment so that we can properly evaluate and truth tell to ourselves. Because the Jesus Creed begins with loving God, right? Love God, love others. It begins with loving God. And in order for love to work at all, it requires truth-telling. See, we know this with our kids. We preach it to them. Guys, you have to tell us the truth. Like, this is non-negotiable. You have to tell the truth or none of the other stuff works. Like, it's the only way we can protect you. And we know it with our, our spouses. I mean, lying Man, it severs the relationship. Loyalty goes away. Paranoia enters the picture. Closes all doors and windows to intimacy. And we know it doesn't work in the workplace, right? What's the quickest way to get fired? Start lying to your boss. 
Start lying to your board. Start lying to your clients. It doesn't work. Truth-telling is the key to unlocking, number one, forgiveness. Truth-telling awakens forgiveness. Without it, it cannot exist. And without truth-telling, true reconciliation is just unattainable. It cannot exist. Now, we do have the power to forgive others who haven't asked for it. Sometimes we have to. Sometimes we're never going to get that apology. Sometimes it's a deceased person that we're just never going to get the proper apology from. And we have to forgive in order just to live a healthy life moving forward. But that's not the way God designed it to occur because with true truth-telling, with true forgiveness comes full reconciliation. Number two, truth-telling forces us to get real. We got we to gotta lay it all out. Got to get it out on the table. Direct honesty prevents a lot of hardship. And what we tend to do is we wait and we wait and we wait. Oh, it's going to naturally come up in the conversation somehow, we think. And we wait so long for the perfect time and the perfect scenario that eventually it just comes out and it's devastating. It's too late. Reconciliation is out of play. But here's the reality. Laying it all on the table, truth-telling is your best shot of saving your marriage. It is. It's your best shot at resolving your relationship with your kids. It's your best shot at saving your job. It may not save all those things. But what you can say to yourself is, I did the next right thing. And that's admirable. Because it's never too late to do the next right thing. And it's, it's your best shot at future reconciliation. Even if things fall apart initially, there's a chance when we come clean, that future reconciliation can occur. God knew it. That's why I put it in the Bible. And the same is, is with God, but even better, because it's never too late to run to him. It's never too far gone for reconciliation. He never says no. He always meets it with acceptance. And it always, always, always is the next right thing for us to do. It never fails. The truth-telling forces us to get real with ourselves and with those around us. And then thinking point number two is this. We must trade our guilt for peace. We have to. Because we weren't meant, we weren't designed to carry guilt. We just weren't. God didn't design us that way. It tears us apart. Think about what guilt brings in your life. It brings self-doubt. It kills your self-worth. You begin to think, well, I don't deserve anything good. I don't deserve success. It brings worry. It brings anxiety, paranoia. Someone's going to find me out. You're against me. They're against me. We lie, we cover up, and we, we can't let others into our lives. 
guilt is not meant to be in our lives. That's why God sent his son, Jesus. It goes against the creed to love God and to love others because we can't because guilt makes us turn inwards. We're afraid. We're trying to cover it up and we're consumed with selfishness and protecting ourselves. And we can't love properly. We can't love God. We can't love others in the way we've been asked to. Guilt will absolutely destroy us. So what about our response? I think there's two paths for us to choose from. Actually, there's three. You can choose to do nothing today. That's always an option. You can always do nothing. But I have two responses for us that each lead to the same place that I'd like for all of us to get to today. So the first response that you can have today is this. If you have never been, run to the Jordan River, which is salvation. And we're beyond, let's try to find it and consider it. Let's think it over. Let's consider what it's all about. God, God's saying, let, let's, let's stop. It's time to enter the water. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus alone to save you and believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and he can take your guilt and sin away, then it's time to run to the Jordan River today and pray in the best way that you know how to make him the leader of your life. And it starts with truth-telling confession, repentance, and to make a commitment that you'll live a life in alignment with the Jesus creed to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. Exchange your guilt for peace and secure for for yourself a forever place in glory with your creator. It's time. It's at the very center of the Jesus creed. And in just a few moments, I'm going to walk you through a prayer to make that decision if that's something you would like to do today to walk to the river for the very first time. The second response is this. If you have been, return to the Jordan River. This doesn't have to be a grand act or display. You don't have to have exact words. You can just talk directly to God. He just wants to hear from us. Think about when your kids have something that they need to share, and you know it. And they, What's the worst thing? When they're silent. Right? God doesn't want us to be silent to him. Begin speaking. Begin a conversation. Talk to him. Perhaps it's a recommitment today to live the Jesus creed. Maybe you've treated, mistreated your spouse. Just haven't treated them very well. <clears throat> Maybe you haven't acted with integrity and honesty in the workplace. Maybe you've been lying to your parents. Maybe you just haven't prioritized church in your family's life or given your kids what they need to succeed spiritually. Maybe you just haven't been leading yourself spiritually well enough. And it's just time. It's time to get back on the rails and run hard after the Lord and to start leading our families in spiritual matters. You'd say, I'm recommitting my life to the Jesus Creed. Let's do this. Let's begin 
just a quiet moment together. I'm going to give us all some time to to do just that, to to hit the reset button. Self-evaluate, to think about some of these things that we have talked about this morning. Take a moment to evaluate your current situation. So are you relying on the faith of your ancestors? Or have you made a personal faith decision of your own to follow Jesus? Has there been a time where you've taken personal responsibility for your guilt and asked to have it exchanged for peace? So take a moment and just reflect on that quietly. you have found yourself in a season we're just not following through living in the ways that you once committed to living not living out the Jesus creed not giving full obedience to the Lord in all areas of your life and your family take a moment to self-reflect say that that first response, that's me. I'm ready to run to the Jordan River for the very first time. I'm all in. Here's a prayer for you, and you can just repeat this quietly in your own heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm ready to admit that I am 100% sinful. And I confess that I have sinned and I now repent. I believe that your son Jesus came to this earth, that he died for my sin and guilt, and that he rose again. I now want to make him the leader of my life. I'm making the commitment to you that I will no longer live my life based on my own desires but on the Jesus creed I will love you with all of my heart all of my soul all of my mind all of my strength and I'll exchange my guilt for your peace If you prayed that this morning, you have now secured your forever place in glory with your creator. Beautiful thing. Now for those of you with your heads bowed and eyes closed who would say that second response is where I'm at today. 
So repeat this prayer of recommitment after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I have not been living up to the commitment that I made to you. I'm recommitting to loving you with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength. I will prioritize others first. I will be the person that you have for me to be. I will lead myself in godly ways. And I will lead my family spiritually. I will prioritize church and my spiritual wellness more than I have been. I love you. And in your son's name I pray. Amen. So repentance and confession, it's a refreshing thing. Before it occurs, it seems scary and bad, and after it occurs, it seems wonderful. So let's now take that, accompany it with some repentance, and really start living the Jesus Creed as a faith community. Thank you.